This is Counterculture with Marie Busky. Wednesdays at 10 a.m. on Reality Chick Radio. Welcome back to Counterculture here with Marie on RCR. And it's time for me to bring back a returning guest all the way back from week two, which feels like a lifetime ago now. And I wanted to get him back because... What we discussed is the knitting wars, and I know many of you will be thinking, really, Marie, we're diving into the day job now. What does this have to do with culture? Well, listen to Neil's interview, which is on the app. Go to my counterculture page. It's all the way back at the beginning of March, and it's time to get Neil back because there has been quite a resurgence within the knitting wars, and it will just give you a context, a canary into the coal mine of what is actually going out there in the wider social milieu. So Neil James, Editor-in-Chief of Blocked Magazine, welcome back. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Oh, it's so good. It's, it's, <laughs> How long is it now? Is it is it six months? It's six months. It doesn't feel that long. It feels like it's only like a couple of weeks ago. I know. So much has happened. So much has happened. <laughs> so much has happened. So what we talked about back then was the history of the knitting wars. And mm. knitting and craft, um, there were several places in the sort of cultural online landscape, knitting and craft being one. Young adult fiction was another. Gaming was another. Where yep. critical social justice took hold quite early on. It's certainly not gone away. You and I have had our fair, <laughs> fair share of skirmishes in that time, Neil. So yeah, for the listeners, give us a quick overview of you, what it is that you do currently in terms of Blocked and what's been going yeah. on in the world well, of knitting. I produce a, a free knitting and crochet magazine, and I often forget to say it's free. So I'm just saying it's free. It's free to anyone. Anyone can read it. Uh, and we cover a lot of the drama that goes on in the knitting world, as well as knitting patterns and techniques and so on and so forth. And everybody who's part of the magazine is a volunteer. So everything is for free. There's no money to be made from it. I do have a Patreon that um, helps me produce it and just helps me uh, cover the costs of um, the platform where I publish the magazine and so on. Uh, but apart from that, it's all free. And I kind of try to keep um, an eye on what's going on because obviously it's good for the magazine because it gives me material to write about, but it's incredible, the stuff that happens. And it... If I was an outsider, I don't think I would necessarily believe some of the crazy things that have happened over the last few years. And I think that the knitting world is a little bit like um, we're almost under like a bell jar. And we, like you say, with the gamers as well and the young fiction and so on, there's like certain areas where you could, if you could study them, you will know what's going to happen in the wider culture maybe a year later. So, so this is, is a warning, a warning from the future for everyone listening. It is a, it is a bellwether. It is. I have found mm. that hand knitting is a bellwether, and you're right. There is. I, I really do believe that when we get through all this wokuha, that they will study what has yes. gone on, oh, t- yes. particularly yeah. in our industry, because it is just completely crazy. So, for listeners, that's how I ended up here. Is I got yes, caught it is, up. Isn't it? It, yeah, and this is the funny thing when it comes to you were one of the original ones. I you? know, I know. I was in that <laughs> first sort of pass. I've been at this a while. The, when it's amazing when someone shits on your shoe, 
or you stand in um, unexpectedly stand and poop, you sort of all of a sudden go, oh, what's going on? And I was like that. I was blithely doing what I do for years and years and years and years, living on common sense. And then these sorts of things blow up. So give us an example just quickly before we dive into what's happening right now of some of the things in the early days that would get uh, people into trouble. Oh, lots of things. Um, one of them was being a conservative, and especially if you were American and you supported Donald Trump, or if you were a Brit and you supported Brexit. So that was like kind of some of the earlier things. There were things before that as well. There was a lady, um, oh, I, I always forget her name. Karen Templer. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, she wrote the article, didn't she? A blog post, sorry, where she was planning on going to India. And because she said how exotic this was and how alien it was for her, you know, being from America and so on, they jumped on the whole thing that it was a racist sort of commentary that she was making. Um, then we had Nathan, who, uh, I mean, that was the one that really got me first mm. into all this, really, where he um, wrote a poem about diversity and they took offence to it because he was a white man and he was man explaining and tone policing and there's a there's a core group of um oh what do you call them like the they're gender critical people they're race activists they're um all of the woke things and they are constantly looking mm. for a transgression a friend, a friend of mine calls them the woke to pusses <laughs> <laughs> The woke to pusses because they they all started wearing those silly pussy hats and and uh, yeah so he calls them the woke yeah. to pusses and yeah, and so the Nathan that we referred to I mean this is a man I mean whilst he is a Caucasian man he's also a gay Caucasian mm. male knitter and his crime really to be honest was to get gather a lot of success I think very very quickly and there was a certain element yeah. of jealousy there. Well, there's a there's definitely a, an anti-male sentiment in the knitting world, and I'm not talking about everyone in the knitting world. I'm talking about these, you know, uh, the woke people. And one of the things that they always say is they call men who sort of rise to the top in the knitting world. They just say they're mediocre men. So they're trying to say that there are women who are more talented, who work harder, but they never get to the top. Whereas you have these mediocre men that come along and then suddenly they're at the top. And included in that is Nathan Taylor, um, Stephen West, who we'll talk about shortly as well. But the thing about these particular men, about Nathan and Stephen West, they're exceptional. They're not mediocre. They are exceptional in what they do, they're exceptional designers. Uh, Nathan's actually in both of their cases, they're they're performers as well. You know, they're natural on camera, they're natural talking. They can both write. They can both, you know, they uh, one of them's a dancer, one of them's an actor. You know, and they're also brilliant designers. And the the things that they design go beyond your average designer's mm. ability. You know, they they they're innovative. They do things that are new. So there's no way that they could be called mediocre. So you're right when you say that there's jealousy involved. But I I just don't get it because I, I want people like those people to be celebrated for their skill and for their talent. You know, I want to enjoy what they're going to produce for knitters and crocheters and so on. So Stephen West, you mentioned Stephen just in that group. And you're right yeah. because... In terms of their skill, Stephen has the ability to take an idea or a concept and build a story of patterns around that. Yeah. Nathan, he is the king of knit nerds, 
He loves the <laughs> technical, whole. Technical, isn't it? It's he's the, very the technical. Yeah. I mean, he's you know. So just to give you an idea, listeners, he has pioneered a uh, there's a double facing technique called brioche knitting, and it's it's very very it's not super difficult, but it's something that is beyond beginners or even you'd sort of start attempting it as an intermediate knitter. He's not only taken that technique and amplified it, he's now gone and created it in multi-colours, multi-strands, in designs and shapes and directions that no one else has done and recently published in June a 400-page tome of patterns, techniques and videos. I mean, this to say that he is mediocre is really and is ridiculous yeah he, he's outstanding there's no doubt about that and um <clears throat> so any man basically is is a target and there's also um a guy called uh james oh mcintosh no oh well there's yeah there's james mcintosh as well they they went for him as well because he um he's a dyer as well isn't he he's a yarn mm. dyer but there's a designer, he's a violinist, and he now lives in somewhere like Serbia or Croatia. And I can't remember his last name. And he designs, and he's a little bit out there. And they tend to call him the bargain bucket Stephen West. That's how they put him down. But the thing is, he's never done any harm to anybody. You know, he's never spoken out about anything. Yet, for some reason, they have a problem with him designing. And they ha- also have a problem with him going to Croatia to learn Croatian. And it's like, it, when they get something in their head that they don't like someone you know it doesn't matter what that person does everything they do then becomes a problem in their eyes because it it's like why would learning serbian or croatian or whatever it is why is that a problem you know it's just because he's a man basically Mm. Mm. Um, so, so then Stephen West, he's been interesting mm. because he is he's young. I mean, he's only what 34, I think, isn't he? He's not I think 34 this week, isn't he? Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, because yeah, he's doing his every birthday he does a, a percentage sale off his uh, patterns and it's 34% this year, so he's 34. Yeah, so yeah. he's 34 and he's so he's yeah, and he's been at the top of his game now. I mean, I I mean, gosh, he's been around for more than a decade. As you said, he's a former dancer. Based in Amsterdam from Oklahoma, so he's an, un- <laughs> yeah, he's an unlikely a lad. Story, he's, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, he's very tall, <laughs> and he has sort of been at the forefront of design, and particularly what I call modern contemporary knit design. Now he does a thing every October, which is incredibly popular. I've done it a few times. It's called the Mystery Knit Along, and it is where they produce clues. Uh, each week and you knit a shawl and everybody was excited this year like they had been in previous years but then what happened Neil? Well the thing I think what's really important to say about what we call the MCAL the make along isn't it or the, the, the knit along is that it was one of the only things in the knitting world that actually brings everybody together and there's very little infighting usually you know the people who have been cancelled by the mob still do the MCAL um, the people that cancelled people in the mob do the MCAL the the people who don't get involved do it and everybody kind of they it's something that everyone in October looks forward to generally i've never taken part in the mcal but i actually like to watch it i like to see what's going on it's really interesting because the thing about what he designs is without being rude to him some of the things he designs i would say were hideous other things that he designs i think are absolutely fantastic but whichever it is whether it's hideous or fantastic they're always clever and they're all and as a knitter you are going to learn 
a technique, at least one technique in every shawl he designs. So he released uh, his first clue of this uh, mystery, uh, mystery uh, Knitalong, and it was um, called the Geo Gradients, I think it was called. And what he does is he doesn't tell you what you need to do for the pattern that he's created. He'll give you clues, but he'll also give you an idea of what kind of yarns to buy. And many people will spend a lot of money on this yarn. You know, on average, they'll be paying 80 to to $100 US dollars for the four, three, four yarns that they're going to use. And they'll often use their best yarns. They don't often use, you know, the the um, the stash yarn that's been there for five years gathering dust. So, you know, it's very highly thought of. So the first clue was released, and everyone was really excited. And obviously, there's always the, uh, the couple of knitters who are super fast and were able to spend all day knitting that first clue, so managed to finish it by the end of that day. And then they shared it with with a spoiler alert, so people who didn't know what the clue was going to be yet um, wouldn't see it. And it was shared on a website called Ravelry, which is very popular. And uh, there's a lot of forums on there, and people go on there, and and uh, Stephen West has his own forums on there where they talk about his patterns and so on. And everything was fine. Everyone was saying how much they loved this pattern. It's a geometric pattern. And um, then I think it was the... 35th and 36th comment of the day so this is how early it was in the process somebody said that the design resembled a swastika and then things kind of snowballed from there and it was it was bizarre it was because the thing is i i have to emphasize the design is not a swastika no the design is more what you would call a pinwheel and anyone who's a quilter or sewer you're going to know immediately what i mean when i say a pinwheel mm. um it's an ancient symbol that goes back you know the ancient celts used it and i think aborigines may have used it i don't know it go so many cultures have used this pinwheel symbol when because um, I, think... I miss the whole swastika thing because i i don't i'm not oh. taped in well yeah i'm not taped in but you know a, a mutual friend that we both have is and he sent me a, an image of his first clue and said to yeah. me what do you think this looks like and i looked at it and straight away, I thought, "Oh, that's clever! Um, it looks like a wind. It looks like a windmill. A windmill yeah. He yeah. he lives in Amsterdam. He's gone and done a Dutch windmill. Yeah, that's really clever. Oh, well done, Stephen. Oh, so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, you do you don't realise what this means about you now, though, because you mm. don't see the swastika. You are now a Nazi. This is the this is the. I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but we'll we'll <laughs> rewind slightly. So these two people, and from what I can gather, I can't say for certain, but I don't believe that either of the two people that saw the swastika were even knitting it. They were just in the comments to see what the clue was going to look like um and then a big discussion started about whether people saw a, a swastika or not and then people were starting to get a bit nervous about knitting it and a bit nervous about showing it and people at this stage people were still willing to try and make it you know so that it was okay i mean i still think it's okay whatever because to me it is not a swastika but people were re jigging their colors so that certain colors were more dominant than others so that the emphasis of the design was slightly different 
Uh, one person even um, created a black and white uh, design so you could color it in yourself so that you would know exactly how your pattern was going to appear at the end of it all. And initially, I just thought, oh, poor Stephen. I, I actually defended him at the beginning. I, I wrote a few Instagram posts defending him because I just thought, oh, here we go again. You know, there's always somebody who wants to try and destroy some a bit of fun. That, so, you know, because it is fun. The, the knit along is a fun thing. And I was really, um, want, I really wanted to back him up because I thought, no, this is awful. What they're doing to him is wrong. And I had, an, I had visions of him being cancelled over this, you know, and that they were going to say, you know, you've designed a, you know, a, a swastika and so on. So what he did, he responded very, very quickly. And he, um, was, aghast i would say you know that people thought there was a swastika in his, in his design and he's a i think he's a nice guy you know he's not he's certainly not someone that would have deliberately put a swastika in his design you know he just wouldn't have done that um so what <clears throat> what he did was he acknowledged that people could see this swastika you know he he didn't dismiss them but then he released a an alternative version and he did it very quickly so kudos to him for doing that but it was a very boring alternative and it was just concentric squares i think it was which as a knitter is very you know if you're a reasonably experienced knitter that is not you're not going to learn anything by doing concentric squares whereas the design that everyone was saying was a swastika well not everyone was saying but some were saying was actually quite complex there was a lot to it and it wasn't as simple so you were learning something so he produce this alternative version and i thought that that would hopefully be the end of it then you know okay so mm -hmm. if you see a swastika you don't have to knit the swastika you can now knit this other version but then what started to happen was and it didn't happen straight away it kind of crept in there were people who really took this swastika idea and ran with it so on the reddit site there was a craft snarker who has been really keeping the fuel going on this you know has really has some kind of vested interest in making sure everyone knows that this was a swastika and what started to happen was and this is where my my empathy with Stephen West kind of went completely. I now have no sympathy for him whatsoever because he then started to take, he took all of the references to the first clue away. So nobody then could get clue one as a, on a piece of paper, you know, or on email or whatever. So if you wanted to knit clue one, which is what everyone said was a swastika, you no longer could get it unless you'd already downloaded it. And then to make matters worse, what he always does with his uh, MCALs, which is really good, is he does videos that go along it, alongside it. So um, you can read the pattern, and it can be quite complex, some of his patterns, but then there's a video to show you how to do that. And what he did was he took that video down. And he so he knew that people would now struggle, that were wanting to carry on with the original design. And the way it was handled was really bad because he basically said that um you know he didn't want to dismiss these people that were harmed 
by seeing a swastika. So I have issues with that straight away because nobody's harmed by seeing a swastika. You know, we've had Indiana Jones, we've had Captain America, we've had Wonder Woman, all these kids' shows and films all have swastikas in them because they're all set in Germany in World War II, mostly. Um, you know, seeing a swastika in and of itself does not harm anyone. You might not like it and it might bother you, but it doesn't harm you. And the people that were claiming harm None of them were people that you would think could be harmed by seeing a swastika. So, for example, um, you know, the Jewish people or people whose family were in the Holocaust, they were saying this is not a swastika. You know, people who know what a swastika is, for whatever reason they need to know what a swastika is, knew it wasn't, you know, and it was silly. It was, I mean, to put this into context, um, I looked on, oh, I forget what the organization is called. I think it's called the a APB, I think it is. And it's a, an organization where you can find out what hate symbols are out there in culture at the moment. And one of the biggest is just the number 18. So if you celebrate a family member's 18th birthday and send them a card with 18 on it, somebody somewhere could accuse you of being a Nazi because that is a Nazi symbol. Now, you you know, the ridiculous lengths that we could go to by finding these Nazi symbols everywhere, you know, everything could be, you know, and the thing with the swastika is it's just a cross with feet, you know, that, and it's a... And in and again, in and of itself, it isn't a Nazi symbol. It's actually an ancient symbol that goes back in Hindu um, culture. Uh, it even is in Jewish culture, going way back thousands of years. And it's just that this one particular moment of time, it was used in a horrific way. But we shouldn't forget that. And by erasing the swastika from all mention and from all hint, you know, because it wasn't even a swastika, you know, we're kind of erasing what those people did when they did use it for such a terrible thing. But I, oh, sorry, I'm go really going off on here. Uh, going back to Stephen West. <clears throat> so what he'd done is he'd um, set the scene for people to then start accusing other knitters so two camps emerged and funnily enough the minority camp is the one that kept seeing the swastika everywhere the majority of people didn't and they wanted to carry on doing the original design but the 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 mood shifted and it became quite nasty and then you had people saying things like um if you knit clue one it's obvious that you've just always wanted to wear a swastika and this is your moment. And, Why am I not surprised? <laughs> I mean, I can't believe I'm even saying the words because it was, you know, it's so shocking. And now what has happened is that, and this is where my issue with Stephen West comes, my real issue with Stephen West, is that he hasn't defended the people that want to just knit the pinwheel. Mm. Which is but then that's is. that's the that's the fear, isn't it? You know, because he is a yeah. very gentle soul, and not everybody has got you know rhino hide like you and I. Uh, <laughs> True. I yeah, I have to take that on board. I get yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But he it, did do yeah. a video, didn't he, where he cried and he was really mm. upset about and it. What, and what, of I, course, is the number one rule for the mob, Neil? The number never one. Apologize. Rule, never, never apologize. Never apologize. Never. Uh, yeah, by apologizing you open yourself up to all sorts of criticism because then people start analysing the words you use in your apology. Now, I actually sent him an email but I because um, I wanted to support him, but I did say to him, look, you know, I've got some advice for you. Not that, you know, 
he's you know Stephen West you know huge designer um and my advice was look you know you shouldn't have apologized what you should say is I you know I see the people that are saying that, that you see a swastika I I'm not dismissing that but I'm also not dismissing the people that don't see it you do you you know do mm. knit what you want to knit because the other aspect of this is that now there was going to be um, pictures were going to be shown on on I don't know if it was going to be on his website, but certainly in the forums that he's in. And there was a competition as well. And now anybody who knits Clue One is banned from that. You're not allowed to show Clue One, and if you do, you have to blur out the image of the pinwheel. Goodness. The, and there's another aspect to this, which um, which I hadn't thought of at the time, but somebody else mentioned in a forum that I'm in. And one of the things that was happening was people were suggesting new ways of doing this clue one, which is great that they were doing that. But then it's like, well, yeah, but whose pattern is this now? Whose pattern have I bought? Because I've spent $8 on this pattern. I wanted a Stephen West design, but now I've got Martha from down the road's design, you know, who's done a granny square or she's done, you know, whatever in the middle. And that is now the official pattern. You know, it's like, what am I going to learn from mm. that and why? And and then all the, uh, there were some big names who sort of got involved in this. So um, there's a lady called uh, Carlin Borisenko, who's quite prominent in the knitting world for all sorts of different reasons. And I'm not going to get into it. And she, I do know she is a huge fan of Stephen West. She is. She is. There's no denying that she does all of his MCOs and she's all, she always supports him. And she did a, a video where she was absolutely fuming about what he'd done. And I have to say, I don't agree with Carlin on very many things, but on this particular issue, I did agree with what she was saying. Maybe not with what she has sort of threatened, because I'll come to that in a second as well. I don't agree with that. But um, that she sort of articulated the feeling that many of us felt that we were being completely dismissed and were being labelled as Nazis just because we want to knit his design. You know, because at the end of the day, it's his design. Um, but then what uh, she did was she had managed to download the video that he'd deleted and she then reposted it on her YouTube and on her Rumble and all the other versions of that that there are. And uh, I think he hit her with a copyright strike or somebody did. And it was taken down off YouTube. And I think, I don't know whether it's still on Rumble or not. Um, but then she said that she was going to get revenge. And this is where... Mm. You know, I lose support for her on this issue because it's like, no, there's no need for revenge on this. You know, it's not like somebody's murdered your grandmother or anything. You know what no. I mean? It's not that serious. It's a shawl at the end of the day. Um, but what she's intending to do is um, to basically breach his copyright and republish pretty much every pattern that she's bought of his and just change it slightly. So she's going to make the money, I'm assuming, from it. I don't know why she would do this. Um, but she did describe it as a revenge move. Mm. So, Believe me, I, I would know why she would do that, but we're not going to uh, split that here right now. Uh, you know, and look, for listeners out there who are hearing all of this going, I never knew what? knitters were so insane. <laughs> or you might be thinking, I always knew those knitters were crazy. This is a barometer. This is why I had Neil on. Even if you are not a hand knitter, these sorts of actions and things happen you may be listening to this and you were thinking gosh that happened down at the the bridge club 
or the community event, these sorts of personalities crop up all the time. And hand knitting, it has been endemic now for, oh gosh, it must be coming up seven or eight years this has been going on and they're still at it. And we actually had a little bit of a hiatus because when you and I spoke six months ago, it was on the back of Kirsty Glass, who was one of the um, prominent American knit influencers. And She's actually, I think, come out the other side better, stronger, greater, and and, she has. and yeah, she she's has. she's fantastic. And it, it, there's been a bit of a lull, but this is just it. They can't stay quiet for long, and well, it's been amazing been few... that Stephen hasn't. He's been someone I'm amazed that's been left untarnished for as long as he has. Well, there's an interesting thing about Stephen because there, I mean, there have been a few minor skirmishes, a few little things. And like I was saying before about um, the hatred of men in the knitting world uh, by these people, I'm not talking about all knitters. um, They've tried to get Stephen West a few times. They often try to bring him down for silly reasons. And he's somehow managed to escape, you know, this up until now. But the irony now is that the people that were supporting him to try and defend him have kind of turned the back on him now because he we feel that he's turned his back on us. So the people who are defending him now are the same people that three, four, five months ago were trying to bring him down over something else. You know, it's so it's so fickle. The, the mm. knitting world is so fickle as well. And there's definitely a feeling of um, you know, cannibalism, you know, virtual cannibalism that they're trying to eat their own. And if anybody steps out of line, you know, they are immediately pounced on and and then the the apology comes and then that isn't good enough. Um you know, they always do it wrong in some way. And we'll probably end up talking about another case a little bit later on of uh, somebody who's got their apology wrong. And um, so my advice to anybody out there, if you're ever accused of any of these sort of silly things, please don't apologize. Um, I'm not saying that you shouldn't apologize. If you've done something wrong, you know, like seriously wrong, then maybe you do need to apologize. But if it's a made up thing that you know you haven't done anything wrong, don't apologize because then they've got you. They've got you where they want you and they don't accept apologies. They never do. Because accepting with any of these culture warriors, by accepting an apology or by issuing an apology, what you're doing is you're accepting to play by their rules. Yeah, it's a bit like you've signed that contract, isn't yeah. it? It's almost, you know, like you've you've agreed to be part of this now. Yeah, because all you've got to do is look at all of the cases. But even in the wider, you know, the wider world, you know, this is happening uh, in the UK now. We've got uh, Lawrence Fox. He, whether it's right or wrong, what he did, he apologised and he shouldn't have done uh, because that's, you know, he's now owned by them, really. You've got people like, um, who else has been... um, Oh, you, well, you talked to uh, Katie Hopkins, didn't you? I mean, mm. she she's a great example of somebody who doesn't apologise, you know. And I I've got a lot of respect for Katie Hopkins because she she stands up, you know. She and she's unwavering, and that makes people a little bit afraid of people like Katie Hopkins, I think, because they can't control them. By mm. you know, I think that that's how I've managed to get through all of this as well. Is that I don't. I just don't fall for the nonsense. And I'll say what I want to say, whether they like it or not, and they'll criticise me for it, and I'll just say it again. (laughs) You know, and I think it really does annoy them more than anything, because I will not accept what they're saying to us, you know. 
Oh, I mean, Neil is uh, with the magazine listeners. Neil is somebody that likes to sort of cross the para- top of the parapet uh, with his <laughs> air rifle, sort of snapping out <laughs> remarks uh, generally on Instagram. Whereas I sort of, ha- I definitely fall into the, I just cannot be bothered. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm so, I'm so busy with everything else going on that. Um, it, and it's really interesting, though. We, we were saying before we got started, it's really interesting with this new job. I mean, it was always very nerve-wracking for me to take this role on. I mean, I'd had multiple skirmishes with them over a period of yeah. two or three years. And then I really had, they crossed a line with me big time. So I put my hand up in March of, oh, yeah, Mar- uh, yeah March of 2020. It was at the end of the first lockdown. And I just had had enough. And so I appeared on a, uh, a pretty well-known uh, podcast in the United States with mutual friends and, and just sort of said, I'm over it. You know, I'm just, I've had enough. And this is what they'd uh, done to the business that I managed. And by doing that, well, you can imagine the implosion that happened in this country. And at the time, I'll be honest with you, at the time, it was not pleasant. Would I want to do it again? No. No. (laughs) Because it's not a pleasant thing. You feel like digitally a thousand voices are screaming at you at any given time. And the thing that they do that I think is really the worst part of it all is that they, they go around telling everyone who follows you or who you know, you've got to stop following this person because mm. this person is evil or this person is this. And they'll even do it to your family members if they're on there. Yeah. You know, they they want to just, they don't just want to stop you doing whatever it is that you did that offended them in the first place. They want, they want you destroyed. Yeah, they do. They it's want you horrific. to have no income, no friends, yeah. no family. They yeah. they would get you homeless if they could. Yeah, and it's for what? awful. It, it's crazy. Yeah. It, and this is the thing that I see with Stephen. This is where I have a wee bit more sympathy mm. with him, is that he's in a, a business situation where he's not the only person in that business. So I do know that he does, has business partners. So, you know, obviously you've got to work collaboratively. I am so lucky that my business partners are amazing. So when all of this went down, you know, they were fully aware of, of everything and just super supportive. And, you know, we worked on it together as a as a combined problem or issue. Whereas it, it what does happen though is that you in this indus, in the, the day job industry is that you go to these events and shows. I'm going to talk about one of those in a minute because that's <laughs> I'm just oh. still I'm laughing to the point that I'm crying over that. Oh, so good. Yeah, get your uh, anywho, coffee ready for this one. <laughs> I know. Uh, but you, you so a lot of your event is around going to these shows where Sometimes hundreds, thousands, or tens of thousands of people attend. Like, and I've been to one of these big ones in the US. And so, you a sell a lot of product. It's about uh, getting your name out there. It's the public appearances, all of those sorts of things, which are integral to your brand. And what they're doing with Paul Stephen is they are literally not trying to only destroy the man, but they're trying to destroy the brand. We... Where I would say though, where I would say there's something slightly different, and I am not justifying any of what's happened to Stephen, but there's a slight difference in the the what I've noticed is that the woke people, the lefties, they will say, right, I'm never buying from them again, and neither are you. 
you know, you mustn't mm. buy from them either. And if you do, we're going to make sure everybody knows that you're as bad as they are. Whereas what seems to be happening this time around with Stephen is people who are really upset about this, the ones that, you know, knitted the swastika in inverted commas, they're saying, well, I'm not going to take part in his MCAL again. But they're not saying to anybody else not to. So mm. it's kind of different. It's there's a similarity there that has that I do find a bit uncomfortable, but I kind of see why people are saying that. But I also think that that is going to blow over for Stephen West because I think he is an exceptional designer, mm. and I think he'll weather this out, and I think he'll be fine in the end. Um, yeah. I think he, he'll just probably lose a few sales. I don't think he's going to be... You no, know, that he's not going to get uninvited from events. And I think no, that that's, no. you know, he's gone and done that. So we alluded to, uh, so, that, that, so that happened. And when you and I first initially went to hook up to have this catch up, that's what we were going to talk about. And then in the meantime, Meanwhile, <laughs> yeah. meanwhile in New York, uh, uh, they, so there is a show in an event in upstate New York, which... It's like the holy grail to knitters. Um, yeah. I'm one, I've got a friend like who's just got on. Oh, I could. I'm so jealous. She's from New Zealand. I could come with friends here from New Zealand that have just um, just been. So tell us about that event and what sort of transpired there. Because again, this I know I'm talking about knitting, but this could be any sort of event that's held. The fact that it's a knitting Absolutely. event. um, I do need to sort of preface this by saying everything I'm going to say is alleged, allegedly, because it's all unfolding now. Even as we're talking, there's new things coming out. So, and a lot of it is anecdotal. So when I'm just going to be sort of re-saying what I've read or heard rather than knowing some of these things as absolute fact. I think I need to say that because also, um, just as a precursor to this, I had a lawyer contact me today to ask me if I knew if any of the participants of what we're going to talk about wanted to sue and if I would know who they were. And it's like, oh, right, this so this is getting serious now. You know, this isn't a game anymore, you know. But anyway, so what happens? There's there's a couple of events. There's the um what's known as the Rhinebeck event, isn't there? Which is the huge one, which I uh, forget what the is it the war the sheep it is uh the, festival, the, the upstate name? New York wool and sheep festival. Yeah, well, everyone knows it is Rhinebeck. Rhinebeck, yeah. Um, now, the thing about Rhinebeck is that's been going for years. It's huge. It's probably the biggest one in the world, I think, um, if I'm not mistaken. And there's been a lot of complaints over the years that they kind of keep the same vendors and that people literally have to die before a new vendor can take their place. So there's been a couple of people who've been a little bit unhappy about that. So they've created smaller events that kind of satellite around Rhinebeck and um, they're not really part of Rhinebeck but everyone's kind of just taken them on board. So one, this one in particular is called Woolen Folk which has only been going for three years I think it is. I think it started straight after uh, lockdowns and the lady that's, uh, that launched this, she used to have a yarn shop so just to set the scene um, she we think the yarn shop was a failing business. So she did a fundraiser to raise money for the, to keep the shop going. So I don't know how much she raised, but then what people are saying is that the moment she got the money, she just closed the shop and presumably kept the money. Allegedly. I need to keep stressing this allegedly. So this is the person who, um, then went off to create this event called Woolen Folk. And I believe she had a couple of partners that were involved as well. 
and uh, so it was a small version of the Rhinebeck um, yarn show, and she had a f- uh, you know quite a few um, loyal followers of people that went there each year. And then this year, something kind of happened initially five weeks before the event. So everything had already been booked, but then they had to change the venue and the official line that's coming out. But there's lots of people who are arguing that this can't be the case. But it turns out that there may have been a wedding pre-booked so they had to move the venue so they moved to um i believe it's uh somewhere in catskill i think so not the so it's in the catskills in new york state but it's actually the town of catskill i think it is and it was a different venue that they hadn't used before it had two buildings and an outside area as well so they moved this and they did let everybody know because they did a an instagram live where they talked about this that people were going to be there and they they sold it as if it was going to be better because there was going to be an inside space so i'm not sure whether the original venue was all outside or not but that's by the by so anyway so they booked this new place and uh, people were buying their tickets and i believe the tickets were about 45 50 dollars if you bought them in advance but then on the day if you just turned up they were going as as high as 65 dollars for us and that's just to walk in the door to go shopping yeah you don't get anything for that you just yeah you just get in the door um the vendors were paying i believe from about 900 dollars upwards for their their table space so some of them were doing like a double space which meant they were paying eighteen hundred dollars and from what we can gather from one or two of the sponsors they were paying two and a half thousand dollars each to be a sponsor which meant that their their logos were everywhere you know so everyone would see that so the the firm woolen folk must have made before any outgoings because obviously there'll be a lot of outgoings they must have been making about two hundred thousand plus on that day so the venue allegedly holds 500 people but they sold i think it was between two and a half thousand and three thousand tickets and they didn't stagger those tickets so people would have just turned up all at once and there wasn't enough room so there's a lot of so many issues revolving around this that i'm going to miss some out but i'll start with the the customer experience first so what was happening for customers was the space was too small to move around. There's been lots of talk of people who were in um, uh, mobility. No, I don't think it was wheelchairs. I, you know, I think they're called scooters, aren't they? Where one lady apparently fell out of the scooter and had to be helped because she was turning around a corner and it wasn't wide enough. Um, there were the toilets weren't very well. Um, uh, displayed or whatever uh, people couldn't find any of the vendors because they were all over the place and there was no plan of where anyone was so you turned up you didn't know where your the vendor you wanted to buy from would be so there were people on the fifth floor that nobody actually even went to you know they i don't think they sold very many products at all there was just one lift as well no signs anywhere apparently um so and one uh one person fell and broke their collarbone, apparently, because of how badly things were laid out. And but, I understand there was a thunderstorm too in the middle of all of this that then created massive issues in terms of mobility and mud and 
Yeah, and and also electric problems because there was electric uh, wires everywhere. But the from the vendor's point of view, the night before on the Wednesday, there was a a dinner that was two hundred and fifty dollars per. Oh, hang on, no, was it? It was either one hundred and sixty dollars or two hundred and fifty dollars. I might be mixing that up. And apparently, it was nice, but it wasn't great. And there was uh, some people didn't get the full food that they'd paid for uh, but everyone was sat back to back literally couldn't move and apparently um, a larger lady actually went to the organizer and said look you know i can't sit here you know and the the organizer apparently just turned around and snapped at her and just said well that's your problem you know so straight away there was like this sort of oh you know this disdain for the customers and the vendors um now on that night uh, on the wednesday night i think it was she the um the organizer allowed some of the very big names to set up their stalls early so the big names i don't know whether you want me to mention the big names or not uh would you rather i didn't or does it matter? oh i don't mind yeah so there was um magpie fibers they're a very big name there was lamb and kid there were also Legarson, which are uh, um, two guys from Canada. They've also been in knitting war events in the mm. past. Um, and Lola Bean Yarn, Adela of Lola Bean Yarn, she was oh, there. Oh, your sponsor. girlfriend, Neil. Ah, yes, my favourite. Yes, she was there. And uh, she wasn't vending there, but Magpie Fibres were selling her yarn there. And she was going to be there as some kind of a famous podcaster meet and greet type of thing, I think. And they were the ones that people were complaining were being pandered to a little bit. The The event organiser spent the entire time with those, you know, three or four people and didn't give anybody else any help of any kind, apparently. Now, the uh, everybody else had to sort of find their own place to set up. And some of the stories have been crazy there was one particular um i think uh oh they're um they their name begins with an e and i've forgotten now uh i've forgotten the name i'm sorry but they all of their packaging went missing first of all so all of their yarn in their boxes they couldn't find where they were then it had arrived before they had got there so they contacted the organizers and they said oh we'll keep it all safe in this particular place when they actually turned up because of the weather other vendors and um, people there, the organisers, had used their boxes of yarn as like channels for the water to run down and for people to walk on. And so a lot of their yarn was ruined. And the, this is expensive stuff. You know, if you're not a knitter, the ones who don't, you know, we're talking each yarn, each ball of yarn is going to be $20, $30, isn't it? You know, we're not talking fiver, you know. Um so they they were really upset that that had happened. There were other issues that had happened with them as well, where they were treated really badly. Um, and um, there were other people who um, were asking for tarpaulin and coverings, you know, so that things couldn't get wet. And um, the, initially, the organiser had said, oh, yeah, I'll go and get that. So then this vendor must have been telling everybody else in the area, oh, yeah, she's gone to get them. And when she came back, someone said, well, where's this tarpaulin? And she actually said, no, she lied. There isn't any. I never said there was any. So people were having to then go and buy their own. So one of the vendors went out and bought their own tarpaulin to cover the yarn because the yarn was just getting destroyed in the mud. And people, because it was so badly organized that people were walking around knocking yarn 
yarn off the tables onto the mud on the floor. Um, so things nobody's going to buy that then. You know, that's you know that's a waste of. It's money, a lost sale, yeah. Yeah, and the other thing is they all were promised to have electric for lighting and for their you know neon logos and so on. But that electric, if it was there at all, was like an extension cable running through the water. You know, it was extremely dangerous. There was a, um, I couldn't tell what it was by the description, but there was some kind of um, obstacle that was sharp and high. And if somebody had tripped, it would have basically impaled them. And it was brought to the attention of the organiser. And the organiser said, well, they can see, they can walk around it. And, you know, and oh, and when the person who fell and broke their um, collarbone, the organizer apparently just stood and just watched and then just walked away. And the rest of the time, this person just disappeared. Nobody knew where she was. And when anybody did see her, she was literally just with her favorites, which is Lola Bean and Legarson. And Gosh, this is a lawsuit waiting to happen, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, there are so many things that have happened that I can't even remember them all because they're all coming out. And the, I mean, you've got the, um, you've got some people who are playing weird games on the internet now. There's a, a lady who, um, keeps saying, Oh, you don't know half of what went on. If I told you, you, you know, the, and it's like, well, tell people, you know, don't just tease them, tell them, you know, there was a lady who, um, had flown all the way over there from Glasgow, I think. Um, and uh, I don't think I, I don't think she even made a single sale because of where she was. Nobody knew she was there. Um, now I don't know how much of this is down to people not reading contracts. Uh, how much of it is down to the individual who was organising this? But rumour is that the people that worked with her the previous year would not work with her this year so it, it, i think what people are saying again i have to stress i don't know if this is true that she did so little last year as in didn't do any of the organizing that the other people wouldn't do it this year and she was left on her own to deal with it and this is why it was so bad but she she made the mistake uh now this is this is a good example actually of where an, an apology is probably warranted but you need to do it very carefully so she did issue an apology but she did it in a rush. It was the worst spelling and grammar you have ever seen ever. And it was very half-hearted. And obviously they pulled it to pieces and, you know, found every problem with it that they could. Now, the part of it where it gets sort of sticky in a way is that she's a person of colour. So a lot of the people who are complaining are having to tiptoe around this because they're scared of being accused of being racist because there's definitely a feeling in the knitting world that black women especially are beyond reproach. And, you you know, if you criticise a black woman for doing something wrong, you're actually being racist. I know how ridiculous that sounds, but that is the, sort of the general feeling. And um, so... The lady, she is a a, a woman of colour, and her best friend is Adela, who's also a woman of colour, who's from Lola Binyan. And when all this happened, the the big names sort of stayed very quiet and didn't say anything. And then this is where I kind of first noticed it because there were vendors who started to complain about things that had gone wrong. But then there were other people saying, "Oh, I had a great time," you know, that, and perhaps they did. You know, some people did. But then people were then saying to them, "How dare you come on here with your toxic positivity?" So basically, if you're too positive, it's toxic. 
Um, oh, there was even a, a woman who said that um, she was absolutely appalled and frightened because traumatized sorry she said she was traumatized because of all the happy smiling faces that she saw because nobody was wearing a mask and it's like, imagine being traumatized by happy smiling faces you know how 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 messed up must you be to be like that um so the way it kind of is at the moment is that all the stories are coming in one after the other after the other and the, the one of the, the funny things for me is that Adela of Lola Bean Yarns always manages to be in the middle of these dramas somehow. I don't know how it happens, but she does always end up there. And she's very um she's very vocal and she kind of appears to dictate the general mood of how things go and who should be cancelled and who shouldn't be cancelled, for example. And because this person was her friend, people have been questioning Adela, you know, what? why didn't you see anything? Why didn't you say anything? You know, knowing that the whole time they were there, Adela spent most of that time with the organiser. I think these are valid questions. But now what's happening is there's a, a, a group of them now sort of surrounding Adela um, who incidentally is now saying, literally saying that it was worse for her because her logo wasn't shown. She paid $2,500 and they didn't even show her logo. And they had the audacity to ask her to do a, a chat thing for free, you know, uh, like a where people meet and greet. Yeah. yeah, meet and greet. Yeah. And um, so she's kind of making herself the victim. And people are sort of surrounding her saying, how dare people question Adela? This is this is racist to, you know, they're not asking any of the white vendors who are there. But the reason is the white vendors aren't her friend. You know, this is a personal friend of Adela's. So it's like, I get why people are asking her these questions. Because if she witnessed all these things, which she claims she did, why did she not say anything at the time? And why is it now she's only talking about it? Mm -hmm. so meanwhile, one of the Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, meanwhile, what I love is, meanwhile, back at the old <laughs> state fair, uh, the New York Sheep and Yarn Show, where they've been doing the same thing the same way for time immemorial, they had a great show, <laughs> none of the drama. And, uh, you know, I've spoken to ones that apparently had gone, paid the money to go to the first one. Uh, I heard of someone who was turned away, went to go into the first one, and uh, one of the organisers said to her, well, you can come in, but you can't come in wearing that item of clothing because that's from a problematic designer. You're kidding me. No. 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 Well, I don't they, know why they, I'm surprised. I no, and they so they left. And they then went to the the Rhinebeck proper and yeah. went and so a lot of the vendors that are there are mills. So they're the sort of businesses that mills and mill for other people. So they tend to be because it's a commercial, that element is a commercial show. So they judge sheep, they uh they trade and sell the fiber, the yeah. mills are there to buy the fiber. It is it is actually a trading event that happens to have a small, uh, a retail sort of offshoot with it. And, yeah, so apparently this person was so disgusted that they wow. went in and uh, all the money they'd set aside to set, spend it, all in folk, they chose, went to Rhinebeck and spent it there instead. Wow. Well, this links into the first thing we were talking about with Stephen West, because one of the things that they've been saying is that if people are seen wearing his shawl with the swastika on it, you know, people are going to say things and probably 
do exactly that and bar them from entering or even you know be verbally abused yeah, um, it's just ridiculous it's so ridiculous. but i don't understand i mean uh, i know you do events i've never actually been to a wool event because i have a, a real thing about crowds and this is kind of one of the the things that fascinates me about it is that there's many people that also have problems with crowds but they want to be accommodated for you know they want to have some whereas i think well no that's my problem i'll just order online you know mm. i can look at this yarn online i don't have to actually go there but the the general thing that seems to be out in culture now is that everybody's personal issue whatever it is has to be accommodated for and it's like impossible you can't do it for everybody no, you can't because one of the things they were complaining about was that there was nowhere for people to go who were overwhelmed well go outside go and sit in your car you know am, am i cruel maybe i don't know but i don't think people should have to accommodate people they didn't have a safe space near <laughs> yeah a crying closet where was the crying closet <laughs> oh i know it's just ridiculous and and i know again listeners if you're listening to this thinking gosh these nutters must be crazy the <laughs> this stuff plays out in so many different places it plays out in um like literary circles it plays out in uh yoga it, it does have a tendency to be in the places where women congregate i am going to put that out there <laughs> yeah i'm glad you said that and I yeah no i'm actually <laughs> going to put that out there and own it because I, unfortunately we are our own worst enemies and that's where these things do happen so if you're sort of sitting there thinking oh gosh this sounds just like my uh, salsa dancing club or my Zumba group or my yoga or whatever it is that you do. Um, yeah, it does. It, it happens everywhere. Honestly, then if you're looking at all of this, everybody, do go back and listen to the first interview I did with Neil because there's a lot of background that we talked about in that yeah. interview. And then also Blocked Magazine. Tell us where they can find Blocked Magazine and access back issues because as you said, it's free. Yeah, it's all free, and uh, it, I intend to keep it there indefinitely. So uh, whatever happens in the future, the back issues will always be there. So um, the best place to find it is if you go to Linktree and just type in Blocked Magazine, and then all of the issues are on my Linktree, which if you use Instagram uh, on the Blocked Mag uh, Instagram account, you'll see a link to the Linktree there. Um trying to think where else i'm most uh active on instagram rather than anywhere else so that's the best place to find it but other than that Linktree block magazine and it's all online we don't do any paper magazines uh obviously because that's to keep the cost down because we can't afford it um and so far we've got 10 issues released and i've got issue 11 which will should be released mid-november and that issue is going to go into much more detail about the things that we've just been talking about today because more so because there's so much stuff coming out that i couldn't tell you today you know there's so many things that i can't verify because that's the thing with the magazine we have to try and verify everything before we put it in there so it's uh you know it's a better source of um of uh what's actually going on really mm. um so uh, yeah and this issue we've got quite a few patterns as well so um uh no swat ah well if i say no swastikas we will be featuring stephen west design so what i'm hoping to do is the people that haven't been able to show those designs because stephen west has banned them will be able to submit them to the magazine and if you want your your shawl to be seen i will put it in there like a little gallery oh that's a nice idea 
because it's actually really pretty. I've seen a couple oh, of people. Oh, it's great. It's really, it, as, I said, as you said, it's that, that classic quilting pinwheel in the centre, and it's really yeah. lovely. I think I think it's also called a St. Bridget's Cross as well. So some people who know what that is, and also um, some other people have said it's a bit like a Celtic knot. Mm-hmm. So, um, so if you don't want to, you know, if, if you can't visualize it, hopefully that'll make it a bit easier to imagine. But it isn't a swastika. I mean, I don't know. Did you see a swastika in it when you saw no, it? In the end? I, I saw a windmill. So, <laughs> but that means we're both Nazis, Marie. You oh, do realize that I because we don't you, see the swastika. <laughs> you know, I often talk about this stuff in terms of culture, and I've uh, used this reference for a number of people now that. It's a bit like those 3D, you know, those eye puzzles, those 3D eye puzzles that were really yeah. popular through the late 90s, through the 90s and the early 2000s. Yeah. This is what this world is like, that it's like one of those puzzles. You can look at it for the longest time saying, I don't get it, I don't see anything. Yeah. And then you just sort of <laughs> kind of squint your eyes a little bit and hold your tongue in the right place. And then all of a sudden, it miraculously appears. And once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Um Although I would still say, if you see the swastika, that's on you, not Stephen West and not anybody who knits it. You know Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, look, I just want to thank you. It was so good to catch up. We could honestly, Neil and I could talk for hours, and I don't want to do that to everybody here, but it has been good to catch up. And hopefully, if you're not somebody who is in the young community, what this does is that you take this information and then you can think, ah, I can actually see this unfolding in whatever group it is that I'm involved with because this scenario plays out in so many groups uh, and it just shows you how the ideology sort of seeps in. Actually, I tell you, and I know that because you potentially uh, follow, I did speak to Josh Slocum from the Disaffected podcast. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. yeah, and he talked about his cluster B personality disorders. There's more than one or two of those floating around in their world, right. is there not, Neil? Yeah. Well, I've been doing a bit of research into narcissism because I'm finding that fascinating. And that is, I think a lot of uh, what is behind some of this nonsense. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and there are so many narcissists. I mean, I know um, people that don't know about these uh, personality disorders, many of us have narcissistic traits, you know, a bit of vanity, for example, but true narcissism, I've actually written an article about it for the next issue, <laughs> true narcissism is very specific. And once you know what it is, and when you realise how you rec- how you can recognise it in other people, you'll be surprised how many people are narcissists out there. Oh, and I, absolutely. I have a theory that many of these woke uh, people are narcissists, partly because... And also narcissists are generally created. I don't think narcissists are always born that way. They are created through circumstance and environment. And many of them who, you know, the generation that was brought up to be special and to have a, you know, a a trophy for just participating, many of those now are narcissists because they can't understand why they're not the centre of attention, you know, and this is what a lot of this is about. Mm. 
Oh, no, that'll be fascinating. So that's uh, this has been Neil James from Blocked Magazine. As Neil said, it is a free publication, so do go and check that out. I'll make sure that we have the link with the lovely Liz at inbox at realitycheck.radio. And, of course, 2057 is the text number if you'd like to share your comments with us here at RCR. Hey, thanks, Neil. And we'll have to not leave it so long before we do this again. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I'll, I'll come on any time. You know that. <laughs> uh, take, take care. Thank you. Thank you. This is Counterculture with Marie Buskey, Wednesdays at 10 a.m. on Reality Chick Radio.